evening and welcome to the 490th episode of Travelitch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with my co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent Lee, and we're in the 12th season of Travelitch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travelage Radio. And tonight, we welcome Dr. Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. Welcome, Stefan, to Travelage Radio. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, thank you for having me. Stefan, you wear many hats as a scientist, entrepreneur, writer, broadcaster, photographer, musician, and explorer. So how did you wind up hosting dolphin tours? Well, it's sort of a natural development. I started out as a dolphin scientist when I was a youngster and uh, ended up in Portugal studying wild dolphins uh, for, a de- for about a decade. And then I came later to the United States, Florida, West Palm Beach area, and started to study local dolphin populations here. And eventually it sort of dawned on me that uh, people, regular people who are not scientists and uh, don't really have an ambition to do science, uh, but still love dolphins. Everybody seems to love dolphins. So... Uh, a few years ago, we decided to start Dolphin Tours as a citizen science project. Um, so people could just come out and see what conservation science is all about and have a great time doing it and also supporting a non-for-profit foundation that I happen to run at the same time. Is it true you've been studying dolphins for more than 30 years? Yeah, every uh, since my early 20s, you know, I... I had to make a decision like we all do when we are in high school, you know, where to go, what to do. And uh, it sort of narrowed down to three choices and eventually I ended up uh, studying dolphins. I was always keen to do something that not too many people did at the time. And back then I was the first German scientist. Well, what, let's say my first three German scientists studying dolphins when I got my start in the field. Stefan, tell us about how Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tour started and how it's grown over the years. Well, as I said, it started out as an idea to allow regular folks to open us what I was doing. Oh, I wish I could go and see some dolphins myself, or I wish I could swim with dolphins. That sort of commentary that we would get for many years. And then eventually we figured out that uh, we are getting a little bit too old to raise money in the traditional way, uh, which is usually begging for money. And so we thought, well, why not start something in the tourism arena? There are a lot of whale watch uh, operations around the world for probably 50 years now. And um, we thought, well, we could give that a try if we find the right boat and so on. So there were some logistical issues. But the idea was really to respond to the interest and then turn it into a revenue stream uh, for our not-for-profit foundation and uh, make it possible uh, to grow it and eventually make enough money to finance the whole foundation operation. And uh, so we started in 2017 to suggest uh, or trials, if you will. And uh, so we got going in 2018, 19. Then, of course, COVID hit the whole 
uh, tourism industry, so we basically shut down. And then last year we uh, restarted, and so we are uh, back on our feet and do as many tours as people would like to book with us, and uh, whenever the sea conditions are permissible to do it. Is your operation seasonal, or do you operate all year? And what would you say your peak and bargain seasons are? So the dolphins are here year-round, and mm. so we don't have a season. Uh, what changes are sea conditions, or weather conditions, if you will. And we do have some strong northeasterly winds that uh, come down here to Florida. Uh, they eat away beaches, and which nobody likes uh, because tourism depends on nice beaches. Uh, and it also makes it uh, really difficult to get out in a safe manner. Uh, mind you, a lot of people are in lovers, so to speak. And uh, when they get on a boat, we want to make sure that we're comfortable. So it's not really a season for us, uh, but there would be probably uh, fewer cancellations during the summer months, even though we have hurricane season, but uh, fewer cancellations. Probably the most cancellations we have in January, early February. We're talking with Dr. Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. Stefan, tell us about your boat and how often it runs, and are you thinking of adding a second vessel? Yeah, so the, uh, the boat we have is, a, is a, what is called a rigid inflatable. It's the same design that the Coast Guard uses. Uh, they're small rescue vessels that they operate out of marinas and ports for nearshore rescue operation. And so it's a totally stable boat. It uh, has capacity of 10, uh, which we uh, like because... These tours are what we call interpretive tours, and uh, so we do have some scientists on the boat that do some interpretation and tell people what we have learned over the last 20 years. And so the boat uh, rides really well, uh, has a sufficient capacity, and uh, people enjoy really the comfort of the boat uh, when they're out in the ocean. And so right now we have a capacity of 10, and then obviously we like to expand uh, the whole operation and eventually get to um, a place where we can take out 20 or 25 boats, uh, people, mm-hmm. sorry. And uh, so that's why we are sort of looking, projecting forward a little bit and try to raise some money on the foundation to eventually buy a bigger boat uh, that would allow us to take larger groups up, which we at the moment can't do with the capacity of 10. So. How long is a typical Palm Beach and Jupiter golfing tour? Yeah, so the tour is about three hours. And uh, we do a morning tour at 9 o'clock and an afternoon tour. And depending on the time of year, our afternoon tours are sunset tours. Um, So you can see the sun go down and sort of quiet on the ocean. And uh, three hours is about enough uh, for people to go out. Uh, Sometimes we see dolphins uh, fairly quickly in the first hour. And then lots of people would like to go home right after. Uh, that's sort of what they came to see. And, of course, we always try to keep them out there for the full three hours. There's other marine life out there. Uh, between May and September, we see a lot of sea turtles, and we do see some birds, like frigate birds. So we see some sharks, some giant mantas here and there. Um, it's just quite a, quite a diverse uh, marine environment. And uh, obviously, it's nice to be on the ocean where things are quiet and cell phones are turned off, so it's all good. Hmm. Stefan, what do you tell potential guests who might be concerned about getting seasick? Well, 
It's an interesting uh, question. We typically don't go out uh, in conditions where we know a lot of people would feel that way. And if they ask us ahead of time, they will give sort of standard answer, which is get some drama in if you're really concerned about it, and uh, or some other of the medications or wristbands or things that are out there uh, to to counter motion sickness. And um, that's pretty much all you can do as an operator. Um, a lot of this sea uh, sickness or motion sickness, there are sort of two categories. Some people have it in their head that they might get seasick and then they typically will get seasick. And others really have, um, if you will, physiological or anatomical predisposition with a middle ear uh, and inner ear that they're just more prone to get motion sickness than other people. Hmm. Okay, I think you've already answered this one, but is weather ever a factor in your tours? I know the Palm Beaches has occasional thunderstorms, not to mention hurricane season in the fall. Yeah, so our, we are not afraid of rain because rain in Florida is warm. It's not like a it's cold. It starts to shiver right away. So uh, thunderstorms obviously we try to be avoided at all costs because it's no fun to be out there in a lightning storm. And what we really don't want to do is get out when the sea is running too high. So uh, typically, when the seas run too high, four, five, six feet, then we don't go because first, it's more difficult to find dolphins. Second, uh, more people feel uncomfortable. And third, in most of those conditions, the Coast Guard issues a small cramp advisory, basically telling people to stay on the dock or in the marina and not risk their lives and limbs to go out there just because they want to. Okay, we're talking with Dr. Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. Stefan, I get to the Palm Beaches every March for baseball spring training, but what is the peak season for dolphins? Well, as I said, dolphins really have a peak season here. Uh, what we do have are different kinds of dolphins. Uh, so we have some dolphins that live in the area all year round, um, and we do have some dolphins that are passing through. And we have some that come repeatedly, but in periods that could be two years apart from each other. So, in a, in a way, we compare it a little bit with what we down here in Florida uh, call residents and snowbirds and tourists. Uh, so the snowbirds are the dolphins that are coming on a seasonal basis, but they're always dolphins here. But they are particular individuals out of our population that are not here year-round, but they're here seasonal. And then we have some dolphins that show up every two or three years, uh, like tourists who really love Florida or people who come for spring training, you know. And uh, <laughs> so there are different dolphins, and dolphins have a pretty large home range, which is to say that they're roaming the ocean, and some of them stay very close to where we are in Palm Beach, and some others have home ranges that go farther uh, to the south, farther to the north, and probably farther into the open ocean as well. Mm. When I was at La Jolla Cove in San Diego in December, I saw three dolphins swimming and jumping very close to shore as if they were playing with the human swimmers. I also hear dolphins are extremely intelligent. Are those perceptions accurate? Yes and no. Uh, intelligence is all a matter of how you define it, what you're measuring, right? So uh, are dolphins intelligent in the way we measure it in, in forms of mathematical skills and abstraction, stuff like that? Um, I'm not sure we will ever be able to prove it now or not. 
uh, are they ecologically intelligent, meaning are they super adapted to the way of life they lead? Uh, yes. Are they playful, like humans are playful, to learn how to do things in the world? Yes, they are. And uh, so we learn through play, right, when we were kids. And dolphins do the same thing. They learn what to do and how to catch fish and so on in form of play, so that's similar. And mm-hmm. so intelligence is sort of an interesting aspect. Uh, we always like to think they're super intelligent because then we don't feel so alone in the universe, I suppose. And uh, compared to most other animals, they're definitely on the much more intelligent side uh, compared, compared to other, or the majority of living things. Uh, so they're more in the, in the range of primates and humans uh, when it comes to intelligence. As to interaction with swimmers, uh, that's the choice dolphins can make. Uh, the marine mammal protection in the United States is really uh, prohibiting people to come into the water and swim after dolphins and try to interact uh, to protect them. But uh, dolphins occasionally approach divers and might approach surfers, which is probably particularly true in California where there are thousands of people surfing every day. And uh, it happens here in Florida occasionally as well. But, um, you know, it's not that dolphins are really, they have no need to interact with humans, I suppose. Um, there might be a greater need for humans to interact with dolphins because they really would love to do it. Mm-hmm. Does your clientele consist mostly of out-of-towners? And also, do you have a minimum or a maximum age? So uh, our guests, uh, a lot of them are out-of-towners who come down here, uh, you know, spring training. Uh, baseball is great, but who wants to see baseball all day? Uh, maybe I do. some family members. <laughs> well, and then you know, rather than always going to the shopping mall, maybe go out see some dolphins or do some other interesting things. So uh, we do have locals too who come out, and many of them come out when they have family visiting from out of uh, Palm Beach County, you know, out of state of Florida, and they come down here and they try to do something that people cannot do in Michigan or New York or Idaho. So we do have a minimum age for our regular tours, which is seven years. Uh, We do base that minimum age occasionally. Uh, For instance, when you have families who have kids of various ages and the youngest, uh, younger than seven, obviously you still want the whole family to be able to come out together. Um, We implemented primarily to have a, a threshold so we can sort of engage in a conversation with our guests and talk about any experience of my child and how young the kids are and what we think is reasonable and safe for the children to come out. So definitely don't want any newborns on the boat because they're just physically not in a, in a state where being on a boat is very safe. Uh, but we have three and four-year-olds out, and uh, there's no range on the top end, so we have... Uh, you know, basically anybody above seven. We also do private tours for large families and uh, people who travel together and so on, or business groups. And uh, obviously then we pay uh, the minimum age because if they bring a three-year-old and the three-year-old just throws a tantrum and we have to go back early, then it doesn't really bother anybody else but the private group of them together. Well, please tell our listeners where they can find your boat and how far in advance they should make reservations. So uh, we usually do, always do have some openings on short notice. 
um, it's more difficult if people try to book something in the morning for the same day or for the next day. Um, but the easiest way to find us is really to just look for Palmage Dolphin Tours, and our website is palmagedolphintours.com. Uh, but I'm sure if you Google uh, Dolphin Tours in Palm Beach, uh, you will follow and up on our website. And for those people who have a particular interest in, it, in the actual conservation work uh, that these Dolphin Tours help finance and all the scientists that are on the tour boat are working on, uh, that's uh, Towers Oceanographic Foundation, that's towers.org. But um, they're always cross-references. So anybody interested, when they come to Palm Beach County and they're you know, want to do something a little bit more adventurous and went in your hairstyle, adventure kind of thing, uh, go on a boat, then palmbeachdolphintours.com is sort of the easiest way to find us. Do you get a lot of repeat business? We do get people who come back, and um, part of the reason, or at least occasionally, is we do see dolphins about eight to nine out of ten times when we go. Um, but every so often, the dolphins are just not anywhere near where we are, and so we do give people uh, a second tour for free. And obviously, if you're visiting out of town, uh, you might not be able to do it right away because it might be the last day of your stay or we are just booked out for the rest. But um, they can come back later. So part of the repeat business is people who haven't seen Dolphin in the first time. And then we have repeat business from people who were totally thrilled and excited and cannot come back often enough. So they take every chance they get to come out again and enjoy the proximity of the dolphins um, and everything they can learn from us. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. Stefan, what should passengers bring with them on the boat? I know cameras are a must along with suntan lotion, but what about slickers to keep from getting wet? Well, you're not really getting wet on the kind of boat unless the weather conditions are really a little bit harsh. Uh, the way the boat rides in the water uh, keeps it very dry. But we always tell people to bring whatever it is that makes them comfortable. So depending on the time of year, you know, having different layers of clothing. Uh, we do have rain jackets for everybody if, uh, if we end up in a rainstorm. Uh, but, you know, obviously sun lotion, sunglasses, and it. If you, you know, don't want to have a little bit of protection in the sun, uh, cameras, of course, uh, binoculars, if they like, and, you know, water and snacks, uh, whatever they feel like they uh, might need along the way to be comfortable and happy with the whole experience. You've been studying dolphin behavior for a long time, along with your partner, Dr. Barbara Brunick. Your website says you focus on the socio-ecology of dolphins, and how their health relates to human health. Please tell us more. Yeah, so socioecology um, is essentially uh, a combination of different things you're looking at. Uh, first one is you look at how many dolphins are there, uh, what do they do, uh, how much time do they spend chasing, uh, catching fish, feeding, exactly, uh, how much time they play, how much time they, they spend resting. And you look for the connection between how dolphin life unfolds and the ecological or environmental parameters. Right? So do dolphins uh, happen to spend a lot of time in 20 feet of water or in 100 feet of water? Uh, do they happen to spend uh, long dives, like 10-minute dives, or do they happen to just dive for two or three minutes? Uh, do they swim in groups together? Are always the same animals together? 
So we look at uh, the social connection between individual animals. So that's one part. Uh, the other one, how dolphin health is related to our own well-being, well, that, that sort of makes a, a whole other radio show, I suppose. But um, in, in a nutshell, it's the idea that, first of all, dolphins eat fish, and some of the same fish we eat when we go to local restaurants. Um, and so whatever we encounter in terms of pollution, uh, like microplastics, 40 years ago it was all about heavy metals and petrochemicals. Uh, nowadays, the big focus is shifting towards microplastic. So the fish uh, ingest microplastic from the stuff they eat. Uh, dolphins ingest microplastic when they eat fish. And we ingest microplastic when we eat fish in a restaurant. And you find microplastic in humans already, in the bloodstream, and in different tissues, and you see it in dolphins. So that's one way of looking at uh, how their health is related to our own well-being. And then in a more, uh, perhaps in a more, if you want to call it, abstract way or emotional way, um, obviously if the oceans are healthy and the fish are thriving and the corvids are thriving and the dolphins are thriving, uh, it's much more fun for us to experience the ocean, right? Um, mm. And most people have an emotional connection. I mean, why do people go and sit on the beach to look at a sunrise or a sunset? It's not because it has a material value. It's an emotional value, right? It's a quality of life experience of sorts. Um, if you do that, and uh, as long as we can look at top predators like dolphins, and uh, they can reveal to us what the overall uh, conditions of the oceans are, then we, that better understanding leads and also to better understanding of ourselves and our relationship to the ocean. So in that sense, ocean health, dolphin health, and human health are all related. And it's not just about food, but it's also about emotional or spiritual health, if you will. This is Travel Edge Radio, and we're talking with Dr. Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. Stefan, you're a world traveler going everywhere from the Pacific to the Caribbean before coming to the Palm Beaches. But what was your mission in founding Palm Beach Jupiter Dolphin Tours? Well, I was already here, right, for 20 years before I created the Dolphin Tours. Uh, the mission was really to open up the foundation and give people of all walks of life an opportunity to meet uh, conservation scientists and give conservation scientists communicate with the general public about the work they do, why it is important, why everybody should be interested in the work we do and support the work we do. Uh, so that was based, the basic mission. And it ties in with the mission of the foundation itself, uh, which is to educate people and sort of help uh, create the next generation of dolphin and ocean enthusiasts uh, who pick up from us when we get called to do it ourselves. And hopefully we'll have the same level of enthusiasm, uh, whatever they might study. They might not all study dolphins, some will study sharks and sea turtles and uh, all sorts of other marine organisms, and uh, but they need sort of this uh, this buy-in, this general interest in the ocean. Hmm. Now, Stefan, are, is the dolphin an endangered species protected by federal law? And you were mentioning a little bit, how do ecology, conservation, and even climate change fit into what you know about dolphins? So. Most dolphins, I mean, and biologically speaking, there are lots of dolphins and whales, and they're, they're all together about 100 species, and some of them are endangered and some aren't. The dolphins, we are, 
studying in Palm Beach, uh, both on those dolphins and they are not endangered on a global level. Uh, individual populations are, uh, may be endangered, uh, but the dolphins here in Palm Beach are not on an endangered species list or anything like that. So we are checking to make sure they stay healthy, they have babies and reproduce and population is stable and so on. But nonetheless, the Marine Mammal Protection Act uh, from 1972 protects all marine mammals uh, at a very high level of protection that the federal government affords to these animals, which makes it illegal, uh, actually felony to feed dolphins or uh, interfere with their daily lives to harass them. And harassment is a legal definition as if you were on a boat and you were just, uh, you know, constantly pursuing dolphins with the boat. Uh, that would be considered harassment and that would be uh, felony. I'm not sure what degree of it, but in any way, it's prohibited under uh, the Minimum Protection Act, so that makes total sense. And as far as climate change is concerned, some of the things we are observing are obviously changes in sea temperatures. Uh, those changes are not the same in all areas around the world, in all seven seas. Uh, we have the Jeffrey Gulf Stream here, which uh, traditionally, historically, for thousands of years, brings rather warm water from the Gulf along the Florida coast, and then moves it all the way up north. So, uh, water temperature here is rising a little bit in the Caribbean, and the first uh, environment that is being affected, um, I know dolphins, is coral reefs, and then it sort of goes up the food chain eventually, it reaches the dolphins. Uh, these particular species are cosmopolitan. They can live in almost any water temperature except for very cold ones you would find in the Antarctic and the Arctic. So for botanist dolphins that we are looking at in particular, uh, the increase in water temperature is not a problem as of yet. Uh, but for other marine organisms, it is. How many dolphins do you estimate live in the waters off the Palm Beaches? And is the population expanding? Do you recognize any of the same ones? Yeah, so we do recognize a, a whole bunch of them. We actually know 600 of them individually. And whether, they, whether they're expanding, we don't know yet. Uh, these studies uh, usually take decades to find out those kind of answers. But uh, we have identified uh, more than 600, and so we keep track of whenever we go out there. Uh, we take pictures and then we go back to the lab and find, figure out who was there on a particular day. And then you sort of build a database and you can trace all the individual animals over time, how often you see them, when and where, and so on. Hmm. Dan? We're talking tonight with Stefan Harzen of Palm Beach and Jupiter Dolphin Tours. And unfortunately, we're just about out of time. So I want to thank Stefan for his time and thoughts. Thank you for being a guest on Travelit Radio. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I hope the listeners uh, found it interesting. And, you know, we invite them to come and join us at Palm Beach Dolphin Tours uh, anytime they, uh, they are down here. And uh, in between baseball games or after baseball games, whatever they are to, uh, coming down to our area, we, we are happy to welcome them on our boat. And what is your website, Stefan? Our uh, website is uh, very simple, palmbeachdolphintourist.com. Uh, obviously, the three W's at the beginning, but everybody knows that already now, palmbeachdolphintourist.com. And if you don't remember the website, just Google Dolphin Tours in Palm Beach, and you should be seeing us right on the top of the Google list, and then you can connect with us. 
Okay, well, thanks again. Really enjoyed having you. And listeners, with spring training just days away, but the worst of winter still ahead, there's no better time than now to curl up in front of a fire with a good baseball book, like mine, the new baseball Bible, notes, nuggets, lists, and legends from our national pastime. 480 oversized pages for a saw buck. Such a deal. Get it tonight from Amazon.com. That's the new baseball Bible with Mike Trout on the cover. And that's it for this edition of Travelage Radio. This is Dan Schlossberg along with Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. Next week, we'll head north of the border with special guest Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. So for now, good night and stay safe.